All right, so Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. Uh, Matthew tells us, And when he got into the boat, that he is Jesus, his disciples followed him. Uh, So remember, Matthew is like one big thought pattern. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Jesus was done doing a series of healings, right? He heals Peter's mother-in-law. All the people come into Peter's house in chapter 8. Jesus just starts healing everybody that walks into the house. And that was the case for Jesus' ministry is he was constantly being surrounded by crowds. After he does all those healings, uh, you see a couple verses earlier, he leaves Peter's house And then in verse 18, it says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Uh, This is all one story, right? Remember, Jesus is in this place called Capernaum, which is the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Also remember, some of his disciples were fishermen by trade. Uh, So these guys owned boats. They're right on the lake. Uh, So when Jesus wanted to escape the crowds, you see all over the Gospels, what Jesus would do is he would get in one of their boats, and he would either push away from the shore, so it would give him like space between him and the crowd, he'd teach the crowd on the shoreline, or he would just get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. Uh, So in the next couple weeks, it's like every sermon is going to start with, and Jesus crossed to the other side. Uh, So he's just going back and forth in the Sea of Galilee. But remember, Jesus, after verse 18, he goes to get in the boat, but he's stopped by two men who want to be his disciples. Uh, Both men go up to Jesus. They tell Jesus how much they want to follow him, uh, but yet they have something that's holding them back from truly just leaving everything behind. Uh, Both men want to be Jesus' disciples, but they don't become Jesus' disciples. The men are held back by something. They never thought, they never follow him. Uh, in fact, as Brad taught us two weeks ago, they never did what? They never burned the ships, boats, whatever. Brad's hopefully not in here. Uh, so back to verse 23, our text this morning. Uh, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So now Jesus is actually in the boat. He's done with his interaction with the two would-be disciples. Matthew tells us that his disciples followed him into the boat. That has a deeper meaning than just like he got on the boat with them. Remember the context, the two men that Jesus had just encountered. Jesus asked asked them to follow him. They're reluctant to do so. Here Matthew says that his disciples followed him. There's a deeper meaning with what Matthew's trying to get across. Matthew's about to give us a lesson in discipleship, but first Jesus has to calm a storm. So they're finally in the boat, and like I said, they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I'm a visual learner, and today there's a lot of visual graphs and stuff. So here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, This is Google Maps, okay? So the starting place is up top, north shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're in Capernaum. He's traveling to the country of the Gadarenes. Uh, That is now a place called Kersey, which is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. So this isn't just some little jaunt across like Tempe Town Lake, okay? Jesus is getting in a boat, crossing a sea. This is like a six-mile by-water journey through the northeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, You could go there today and see all of this. And so now in verse 24, we start to see the drama start. It says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep, that he is Jesus So again, just to kind of set the context of what's going on, let's first address what kind of boat are they in. Uh, Here's a picture of the boat they're in. 
Uh, in February of 1986, uh, at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, they discovered a broken boat. It was at the very bottom of the sea, and they dated the wood on the boat to the time of Jesus. So this is 99.9% sure this is the actual, what the boat looked like that Jesus was in. Uh, be, again, Christian history is real history. It's not made up. This boat was about 27 feet long, about 8 feet wide, and about 4.5 feet high. On the very back of the boat is the stern. There would have been a pillow on the stern to weigh the boat down or bring it up or down in the water. That would have been about 120 pounds. So you could see in the back, like the parallel account of this story in the book of Mark, it says that Jesus is sleeping under the stern of the boat. So he is in the back of the boat underneath that little thing. I'm not a sailor, so that's where Jesus is sleeping. Uh, So that's the boat, and now we see that they encounter a storm. Uh, So the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. Uh, surrounding the whole entire lake on all sides are mountain ranges. Uh, So you can imagine, like I grew up in central Phoenix. Uh, I now live across the street. The white tanks are right here. I don't know what it is about this area. This is like the windiest city in the United States of America. And why is that? It's because the white tanks are right there. They serve as a mountain range where below the white tanks, wind comes whipping off the white tanks. Now imagine a lake that's 700 feet below sea level that has mountains on pretty much every single side of it. You could see where winds would whip down from the mountains and the waves would be picked up a little bit. So Jesus and his disciples are on this boat, and Matthew tells us that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Literally, the waves were so high that if you were sailing next to them, you could not see the boat right next to you because the waves were higher than the boat. Uh, So remember, these aren't rookie sailors, okay? They're on the boat with Jesus that evening, and, and they're experienced fishermen, A lot of them probably grew up on the Sea of Galilee fishing. They had seen storms. This wasn't the first storm ever on the sea, but yet Matthew tells us this is a great storm. There's water. The waves are coming over the boat. It's filling up the boat. They're all in a panic, and now Jesus is now asleep at the stern. Kind of a weird thing, right? You know people like this. I'm not like this at all, but people who can just fall asleep at like the drop of a hat. Does not matter if they're sitting in a car, an airplane, whatever. That's not me. I need like a dark room. I need it to be cool, white noise. I'm a high-maintenance sleeper. Jesus, clearly not. A storm of the century on the Sea of Galilee. Here's Jesus asleep on the stern of the boat. So I'm going to do something we never do. I'm going to play a video clip. Uh, so is there any Office fans in here? Any fans of The Office? You can admit it. It's a good show, okay? I was scrolling through Instagram, no joke, on like Monday night, and this reel (laughs) popped up on my... The phones listen to you, okay? Uh, So this reel popped up. I want to show this to you just because it's funny. Uh, Let me get out of the way. Doesn't matter because I'm going to take a nap. So anyway, funny reel, uh, I could do summer at the movies, okay, if we don't do that here. Um, but it's funny, imagine the disciples. Like, imagine if you're one of the disciples. Like, we're like drowning, and this guy's asleep. Like, this guy that's doing all these great things, he's just asleep. So in verse 25, they act. It says, and they went and woke him up, and they said, save us, Lord, we are perishing. 
Uh, So not to get too nerdy with the verb tense, but when they say they're perishing, they're saying that in the present tense. They're literally like, Jesus, wake up, we are drowning. In reality, the disciples are waking Jesus up. They're crying out in anguish because the waves are so high. So you have to see what's going on here. You have to see that these are fishermen who should be somewhat familiar with the Sea of Galilee, and they're waking up the guy who is asleep, who did all of his training as a youth in the shed as a carpenter. Suddenly, what you do for work goes out the window, right? What you're good at goes out the window. In desperation, what do we do as human beings? We run to things that could fix our desperation. In this case, they've had time with Jesus. They sat up there and they listened to him teach on the mountain. They saw him heal the leper. They saw him heal the centurion's servant from a distance. He performed miracles right in front of them. And now they're in a panic and they're sitting in the boat that day and they're like, wake the guy up. Let's see how strong his authority really is. So they go to the stern of the boat, they grab Jesus, Jesus wake up, and what happens? Jesus gets up in verse 26, and he looks at him, and he says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Notice the order that Matthew puts this in. Jesus stands up, and he rebukes the disciples before he rebukes the storm. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Literally in the Greek, you could translate this as, why are you being such little cowards? Why are you so timid? Well, I could tell you, I'd probably be timid in that boat too. Then he does that, he turns and he tells the wind and the sea, he says, be calm. And Matthew tells us immediately there was a great calm. Uh, If you read the New American Standard Bible, it translates it, in that moment, the sea became perfectly calm. Uh, Just imagine being one of the disciples in the boat in that moment. Uh, You're in a panic, and then all of a sudden, you've seen all these miracles. You've seen him do all these amazing, amazing things. Now the guy in the boat is the one that's actually saving your life. In the midst of their lack of faith, Jesus calmed the storm on their behalf. Immediately in verse 27, it says, And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So it was, man, the diseases obey him. The sicknesses seem to obey him. Now it's like the weather patterns obey him. Who is this guy? And the question the disciples asked about Jesus that day sometimes needs to be asked by us. Uh, Most of you all know this, but it's good to know if you don't. Uh, This is good to review if you do know this. Uh, I want us to see this morning that at a deep level, this is who Jesus Christ is. This is what makes Jesus Christ different from any human being that's ever walked this earth because that comes before we have to apply this story to ourselves. We have to see who Jesus is. So here we see Jesus. He calms a storm, and that's the story, right? Great. Jesus calmed the storm. They all lived. Good deal. The question made by the disciples is what kind of man is this, that the wind and the waves listen to him? Well, at that time, it wasn't just the disciples that were trying to figure out who Jesus was. Everybody at that time was trying to figure out who Jesus was. We fast forward 2,000 years to where we are today. We have the Bible. Uh, We know who Jesus Christ is. The Bible explicitly says who Jesus is. The fact that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That Jesus Christ is the second member of the Trinity. You see here when he calms the storm, you see God being both fully human and fully God. So how do you see Jesus as fully man? Well, clearly he gets on the boat and he's so exhausted that he has to go to sleep. 
Uh, Here's some massive storm that none of these people had ever seen before. Water's coming over the sides of the boat. I'm sure the boat is probably rocking. It's going up and down. Yet Jesus is so physically exhausted from healing people, teaching people, doing ministry, that he goes to the stern of the boat and he falls asleep. Jesus is fully man. He got tired. But then we see Jesus is also fully God. Not one person on the boat that day. Not one human being in this room, not one human being that's ever walked this earth would be able to go outside, look at the sky, and tell the sun, the moon, the clouds, the stars, rain, wind, anything. None of us are able to walk out there and just tell it what to do. Yet Jesus gets up from a nap and looks at the clouds and tells them what to do. Notice that Jesus doesn't have to argue with the wind. It wasn't some wrestling match between him and the elements He got up from his nap, told the disciples they need to have more faith. I mean, imagine even that. Like, Jesus, I don't need a lesson here, dude. Just calm the storm, right? But he tells them, you all have small faith. Then he looks at the winds in the sea, tells them to stop, and immediately the winds in the sea stop. Uh, Going completely backwards, right, to the beginning of this year, we started in Matthew 5 with the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We've said from this pulpit multiple times that the book of Matthew is going to show us that Jesus has every ounce of authority that God has because Jesus is God. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7 shows Jesus has authority of nobody else when he teaches. Matthew 8 so far has told us Jesus has authority when he heals. This week we see that Jesus has full authority over the weather. Why? It's because that's who Jesus is. Uh, Let's look at some scriptures real quick. These are good verses to memorize. Uh, John 1.1, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in this case, that word, Word, is referring to Jesus Christ. John 1.1 tells us that Jesus Christ was there in the beginning, like Genesis 1.1, with God. In fact, John tells us that Jesus is God. Uh, the Apostle Paul says this about Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Paul says he's the image, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So what Heidi was just talking about, we pound in your head like God's attributes. Every attribute that God has, Jesus possesses. God's moral attributes, his goodness, his holiness, Jesus has all of that. But also God's nature, Jesus is also all of that. Paul tells us he's the firstborn over all creation. Now don't take that in a literal sense. Paul's not referring to literal, he's born. Jesus is not a born creature He was there from the beginning. When Paul talks about Jesus as the firstborn, it means that Jesus has all the rights and the privileges of a firstborn son. So Jesus is not created. Instead, like John 1.1 says, he's there in the beginning doing the creating. Verse 16, Paul says, For by him, again that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That is Jesus. So last scripture, going back to the actual beginning, Genesis 1, uh, day three of creation. Remember, Jesus is there with God in the beginning, creating things. Genesis 1, 9, and 10. Day three of creation, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. 
God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So there it is, third day of creation. God creates land, he develops the sea. By the word of his mouth, things are created. Jesus is there. Now back to Matthew chapter 8, our text this morning. When Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea, he does so with the words of his mouth. In that moment, because Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the wind and the sea obey him because he's the one who created the wind and the sea. The creator in that case has 100% authority over the creation. So on that day, although the human part of him was exhausted, he knew he could sleep well on the stern of that boat because that sea had no ability to revolt against him. He's the one on the boat that day who had authority. The storm ceases when Jesus speaks to it because the storm is under Jesus' authority. Again, Colossians 1.16, all things, everything that you see were created by him. All, th- all things were created for him and in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. So for us this morning, the application is, it comes down to a simple question of if you believe that the Jesus Christ who saved you, if you're a Christian in this room, the Jesus Christ that you serve, That's the same exact Jesus Christ who had and has the ability to calm the storms. Uh, You don't have to have an MDiv to see the application here. Uh, There's storms in this life. But do you really believe that Jesus is there for you when you cry out? That song we just sang, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Are they really? Let me just use a personal example here. Uh, Storms in life can sometimes be called suffering, right? Right? When we walk through storms, you're you're apt to think, man, I'm suffering right now. Uh, I personally have been thinking a lot about suffering lately. Uh, The Bible tells us, I share this verse often, uh, because being a Christian isn't all like dancing through the lilies. The Bible tells us very clearly, Jesus Christ tells us in the book of John, you will all suffer. All of us will encounter tribulation. We will all suffer. It's like a guarantee. At one point or another in your life, you're going to suffer. So welcome to church. Uh, In my 36 years of life, I've looked back and like God's been unbelievably good to me. Uh, So good to me that I think sometimes like, when's the suffering going to come? Most of you know a couple things about me because I'm fairly transparent up here. Uh, I want to let you know I'm a real person. Uh, Most of you know my dad lives in a memory care facility. I don't want to belabor the point that my dad lives in a memory care facility. Uh, My dad moved out of my parents' house a couple months ago. Uh, We've had to move my dad twice since. My dad uh, was very active here at Salt Church until he moved into the place. Uh, In the last couple months, my dad has gone downhill very quickly. Uh, Most of you also know that I take like 30-minute prayer walks almost every single day where I just walk through my neighborhood and I just pray whatever the Lord's laying on my heart. Uh, We moved my dad into this new place just over two weeks ago. Uh, Honestly, the the third time we moved him, it was one of the worst days of my life. Uh, The next morning, I was just struggling mentally. I got up and it hit me. It's my dad that's suffering. It's my dad's the one with dementia. He's the one suffering. But those of us who are his family members have to watch him suffer. And in turn, that suffering comes on us. So as I got up that Friday morning and I went through this neighborhood and I walked, I'm praying to God and I'm just being honest with God. And I'm basically crying out to God, God, why don't you heal my dad? Like asking God just a legitimate question. 
and thinking through, like, I pray for God to heal my dad. My mom prays for it. My sister prays for it. A lot of you in this room, we've been at prayer meetings where you've prayed over my dad, but yet God doesn't heal my dad. Why is that? Like, to be honest, it's frustrating because I know that God can. I know everything I just preached on and who Jesus Christ is is 100% true. I know that in an instant, God could touch my dad and my dad's mind would be clear. He could take away dementia. He could take away cancer, yet he doesn't do those things. So then that makes you kind of think sometimes, if he can do all those things, yet he doesn't, does that mean that he's not good? I mean, when you're walking through suffering, you ask those questions sometimes. This God that I serve, this God that I give up all these things to, to be around or lean into, the minute we start to suffer is the question, God, are you really good? Just because we're walking through suffering. Uh, this is where being a Christian isn't very easy sometimes. Uh, maybe some of you in here are watching, I know this for a fact, some of you in here right now are watching a family member suffer. Maybe some of you came in here this morning and you're suffering in some way yourself. Is God still good in the midst of your storm? Uh, when I was praying, uh, I don't pray for 30 minutes straight. That's a really long time to just continue to talk, and I do that twice on Sundays. Um, just praying, and I just shut my mouth for a second. Uh, I'm not the type that's going to stand up here. I do not hear audibly from God. I've never heard audibly from God, uh, but I do have the Holy Spirit in my life. Uh, in that moment when I'm like, God, why don't you do something here? I just kind of shut my mouth, and in that time, uh, it hit me. If God were to just reach down and touch and heal my dad, if God were to take away every disease, all the prayer requests that you guys write and put in the offering boxes, if God were to just like completely handle all those situations, what would happen? Our world that we live in would look a lot like heaven, wouldn't it? It wouldn't look like earth if we didn't have all the suffering. In that moment, I just started to think, man, I can't wait to see what eternity looks like eternity where there's no pain, there's no suffering, like my dad's mind will be completely clear, he'll be able to talk again. You know, like Paul in Romans 8 talks about how all creation just kind of groans, right? Like the trees groan, we groan, nature just groans because it longs to be in its restored order. All of us in this room have this deeper longing for something more. Even if you're not a Christian, all the things you run to, success, happiness, money, all these things that we get a taste of here on this earth, that in a sense is all there is. You get there and you still feel empty, our longings start to get a little bit misplaced the longer we live, right? Our focus starts to get shifted and we put all our eggs in the basket of this life and we never ever focus on the eternity that's been promised for us. So I've started to change my view that this season of suffering in my life is not God using me as a pawn to get me or my family to suffer. God is working in me and through me to make me long to actually one day get to be with him. Maybe sometimes the storm that you're currently walking through in your life is to get you to desire the right things instead of the wrong things. Maybe sometimes the storm in your life, because it's one thing that's truly going to get your attention to where you're like the disciples that day and you're in the boat and you have no other choice but to cry out to Jesus Christ. In verse 25, you see that's what the disciples do. They cry out to him. They cry out, save us, Lord, we're perishing, we're dying. Here they are, fishermen, knew how to row a boat. 
asking the carpenter to save them from the storms of the sea. They might not have known every single thing about who Jesus was, but there was something in them that in that moment, when they're literally about to die, they had nothing else to run to. They cried out to Jesus, Lord, save us, we're drowning. In that moment, Jesus looks at them and says, oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Here's the thing. This is true for all of us in this room. Life's a roller coaster. Uh, It's like a lot of us. We go through a lot. There's waves in this storm. Sometimes your boat's calm. Other times you can't see your boat because the waves are so big. But where's Jesus Christ in those moments? He's with you. He's God in the flesh, sitting there, holding your hand, taking care of you. God's not up there stressed about your situation so much he's probably up there taking a nap. He's God. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows the situation that you're going through right now. And this morning, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, he wants you to know that he's right beside you in your moments. In those moments, if God's with you, which we see clearly that he is, that God sends Jesus Christ to this earth, God in the flesh, to be with his people, there is nothing in this life, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, that can come to your life, that can destroy you. God will care for you 110% of the time. So if you're in the middle of a storm right now, Jesus is saying, if you're my disciple, If you're truly following me, not like the guys we saw a couple weeks ago who it's like, no, I got to go bury my dad. I got to do this. But no, if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you can trust him because his spirit indwells in you. If you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus is telling you in the midst of hardship, I'm right here. I'll take care of you. Have faith. You have no reason to not. Uh, To close, I just want to talk to the non-Christians in this room. And I don't know who that is. There could be one of you in here. If Jesus wasn't in the boat that day, those disciples would have died. Again, just think about all sides of this story. These are the same guys who should have known how to handle the weather that day, right? My question for you, if you've never put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ this morning, where do you run when suffering hits you? When things aren't going well? When life's hard? Is it just kind of like close your eyes and like hope things go away? Does depression and fear and anxiety start to creep into your heart? Do you sometimes just wake up in the morning and you just want to quit life because you don't know what to do? Or maybe you're just tough. You're real stoic. So you move forward because you listen to all these people tell you just toughen everything out and you white knuckle your way through, yet you wake up every single day and you feel exhausted. Jesus is showing you, the non-Christian this morning, not that he can calm your life and make it perfect. That's not the point of this story. He's showing you that he can be trusted through all situations because at his core, he's good. But what do you need to do? You need to call out to him. If you're not a Christian in this room, or maybe you walked in here and you're just kind of on the fence with Christ, right now you're just like the disciples in the boat. The boat's rocking, you're perishing, you're about to die. And Jesus is sitting in the boat this morning like, bro, I'm right here. Would you just have some faith? And I saw a thing online the other day like, we don't know the pilot that's flying our plane. We don't know the captain of a cruise ship. Yet we sit there and trust that they're going to get us where we need to go. Yet a lot of us sit there and like, God's in full control. We don't trust him with anything in our lives. This morning, Jesus is asking you, would you just cry out to me? You don't have to repeat some like varsity level prayer. Just cry out to me, God, I need you. Jesus is asking you to trust him with your life. 
knowing that He can do a way better job than you can. Uh, In a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. And I want to invite you this morning to trust Christ with your life, to respond this morning with the good news of the gospel, that no matter what you're going through, God is good, that on the cross, that same Jesus who calmed the storm went and died for you on a cross, a perishing individual, took all the death that you deserve and gave you life. He doesn't just save your life, he gives you eternity with him. This morning, that same God that calmed the storm is calling you to move from darkness to light. And that's true of both Christians and non-Christians in this place. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you for your goodness. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, stories like this that on the surface, it just seems simple that Jesus calmed the storm that day. But God, the deeper meaning behind it of the fact that through Christ, we have peace. Uh, Lord, through Christ, we have reconciliation with you. Um, God, I thank you for that. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you hold our hand through deep waters. Uh, Lord, through the things that seem tough for a lot of us in this room. Lord, the nearness that you are, God, brings us peace, brings us calm. Uh, Father, I pray for the people in this room who are walking through turmoil right now. And God, I just ask that you're super, your just rich peace would just be able to come over them. Uh, Father, that the people in here that just white-knuckle their way through battles in life, God, would give their life to you this morning. Lord, that you'd open up hearts to you. Lord, that you would allow people who do not know you to give their life to you this morning and just simply be like the disciples. Hear the call that we need to have more faith and just take a step out in faith and see what you do. Uh, God, I pray for all of us in this room that you would just be able to protect us, be able to get us to trust you, Lord, that we'd be able to see you right next to us, even in the midst of turmoil and storms. Uh, So God, we give this morning to you, and I pray that you just work on hearts in this room, Uh, God, that we would be able to leave here both challenged and changed, knowing, God, that you're good. It's in your name I pray. Amen.